Hello, Monetization Nation. Today, I'm joined by Kathleen Booth. Kathleen is the VP of Marketing at Clean.io. Kathleen is also the host of the long-running Inbound Success Podcast and was named by TopRank as one of the 50 top B2B marketing influencers of 2019. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hey, Nathan. I'm excited to be here. So would you start off by sharing with us something that you are super passionate about? Oh my gosh. Um, learning. I, I love to learn. (laughs) I, um, maybe sometimes to my detriment, I did two graduate degrees because I, one wasn't enough apparently. And then since then I am just a voracious continuing learner throughout my life. I love to read. I love to listen to podcasts. I'm always, there's always something new I'm trying to learn. Can you explain to us your story, your journey to become this expert at this fusion of marketing and cybersecurity? Sure. So I studied marketing in graduate school. I just mentioned doing two graduate degrees and I got my MBA in marketing and I owned a marketing agency for 11 years. Uh, When I sold that, I then, uh, one of the things, or or one of the things I had always wanted to do was to go in-house and be head of marketing for B2B technology companies. And when I had my agency, I had a number of clients that were in cybersecurity and I happened to live in Annapolis, Maryland, which is very close to the National Security Agency, where a lot of our nation's top cyber experts are. And because of that, there are a lot of a lot of very innovative startups that come out of there and, and then locate in this area. So I've worked in, in a number of cybersecurity companies in the marketing departments. And to say it was eye-opening is an understatement. And I, I really learned on the job because there is no, you know, degree in this. There's no I don't know that there's any training in cybersecurity for marketers. And so I've had to figure it out for myself. And now I happen to work in a company that really kind of marries it all together. We have a cybersecurity product or two products for marketers. Will you tell us a little bit more about your platform and those products? Sure. So clean.io is a digital engagement security platform. And what that really means in plain English is that we help brands, well, companies, I should say, protect their brands and their user experience from third-party code on their websites. And that's, to me, that was so interesting. And one of the reasons I wanted to work here is I've spent my whole life as a marketer, marketing to marketers. And the thing that, that, stuck out at me was that we're always told as marketers that we own our websites, you know, like you don't own your Facebook page or your Twitter account, but we're always told you own your website. And the reality is you own a lot of your website, but a lot of what happens on that website, you have no ownership or control over, and it all comes in the form of third-party code. And that's what we help to solve for. So in all these exciting projects you've been part of, what is the greatest home run that you've hit? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, I think for me, it was really when I owned my agency, um, and I worked with, I don't even know how many clients over the years, probably a hundred plus in all different industries, um, selling all different types of products. And the biggest home run to me was when I saw a client that I worked with really feel success from the marketing we did, you know, like make a sale, close a deal, form a partnership that being a business owner myself for so many years, that was such an amazing feeling to me. And it it doesn't sound like a lot, but, um, but 
it made a major impact because I know having owned my business, having employed people that a win for a company is not only a win for the owner of that company, but it's a win for everybody who works there and everybody who's the family member of those people that work there and who depends on the income that comes from that company, like small and medium-sized businesses, which is really who I worked with when I had my agency, they have such a big impact on this world and on all of our lives. And that, that felt really great to me. So in the cybersecurity world you work, work in, what is the biggest failure or mistake that you've seen? And how can we as entrepreneurs avoid that? So, you know, cyber is a topic that a lot of people talk about. And I think our eyes tend to glaze over when it comes up, especially if we're not cybersecurity practitioners. You know, we think about the hacker and the hoodie taking over and, you know, taking over our website, hacking into our business, stealing information. And those are all very real threats that we need to protect against. But I think the thing that's interesting to me is there are so many more subtle ways that cybersecurity can impact our lives that we don't tend to think about. Um, you know, and that can impact our businesses and our revenue. And so it's it's a lot more of those subtle things that that I tend to focus on because it's kind of like when you go out into the world, are you going to spend all your time worrying about getting struck by lightning or are you going to spend your time worrying about tripping over a pothole and, you know, twisting your ankle or breaking your leg? I'm much more worried about the pothole that I'm going to, you know, or the crack in the sidewalk that I'm going to encounter every single day than I am about getting struck by lightning. And, and maybe, maybe that's not the best analogy, but you know, I, I equate, you know, your website getting taken over by ransomware with getting struck by lightning because it's just far less common. And some of these other things are much more common. And so it's the subtle ways, especially as marketers and as with our website, which in today's world, particularly with COVID has really emerged as our number one marketing tool, but also salesperson, we, we can't afford for that site to be compromised. And, and that's the, the biggest risk to me. Yeah. Yeah. Getting taken over by getting our site taken over by some hacker isn't uh, a big risk unless you're an energy pipeline on the East coast, right? (laughs) Well, you'd be surprised. So when I had my company, we were a small agency, we had 13 employees. And one day I came into work to find that my website homepage was a picture of a teenage girl from somewhere in Asia with a message basically saying, ha ha, you know, I've hacked your site. And it was pretty embarrassing because we were a marketing agency, but thankfully we had sort of prepared for that. And the host that we used, uh, deliberately, we chose them because they kept really frequent backups. And so I was literally able to press a button and restore it, but it's, it's fascinating. Like it, yes, the big high profile hacks definitely hit the big high profile companies, but there's a lot of what are called in cybersecurity parlance, they're called script script kiddies, which are like young kids who, who hack you because they can, and you're maybe their proving ground or their practice session. And, and so a lot of smaller companies uh, can get affected, but it's definitely not as common as some of the other risks. What is your best monetization secret or strategy? There seems to be this uh, assumption in the e-commerce world that coupon codes are really good for driving conversions. And my best monetization strategy is to put your coupon codes on lockdown. And I'm not saying don't use them, but use them very sparingly and certainly don't allow coupon extensions to interfere and hijack them or auto inject them in your site because it does not drive incremental conversions. And it 
erodes your profit margins. So you're going to have to give us a lot more information on that. That's very interesting. Why? Why don't you think that the coupon codes would really help drive growth? And that seems to be, that advice seems to be not intuitive. So coupon codes can, but here's the difference. So think back to before we had e-commerce and before we had digital coupons and think about physical coupons, right? When you, and, or the money mailer that you would get in the mail or the bed, bath and beyond coupon that we all got, right? Everybody knows those coupons and that that's back kind of, and, and to this day, we still get money mailers, right? Everybody still gets the paper in the mail. And before digital coupon codes existed, the purpose of a coupon code, and really one could argue this is still the purpose, the purpose of the coupon code was always very top of funnel, meaning it was meant to hit somebody who was not necessarily thinking they needed to buy something in that moment. So let's talk about Bed Bath & Beyond. I mean, how often do any of us really need to shop at Bed Bath & Beyond, right? Like not, not all the time, certainly not every week or every month do we really need it. But when that blue coupon came in the mail, what it did was it made you say, oh, I have 15% off or I have however, whatever percent it was. Maybe I'll just go and like walk around the store and see if there's something that I like and I can save money on it, right? Or, well, I was gonna hold off buying those new towels, but now that I have this coupon, maybe I'll do it. And so coupons that are sent that way are really designed to spur demand in the moment when it didn't previously exist. And in that sense, they drive incremental purchasing habits, right? Like it's it's revenue you would not have gotten had you not sent the coupon. Right. The difference is that, and and today a lot of a lot of e-commerce companies still use digital coupons that way. Like somebody will say, subscribe to my newsletter, and I'll give you ten percent off, right? And what that coupon is doing is it's incentivizing behavior. It's getting somebody to subscribe to your newsletter and hopefully then make a purchase. Or they might email a coupon code to their best customer to get them to come back and make a repeat purchase or to a first time customer. All of that is designed to incent a purchase that wasn't gonna happen in the first place. There are other types of codes, for example, that you might see on somebody's site where it says spend $50 and get free shipping. That's designed to get somebody to spend even more than they were originally gonna spend in order to get the discount, right? So it's all about incentivizing behavior and ultimately making more money than you would have made in the first place. Otherwise, you know, why would you send out a code? The difference is that today, because of the advent of these deal sites, these coupon extensions, and there are a lot of them, there's, you know, the big ones are Honey and Capital One Shopping, but you've got Rakuten, Piggy, Cooper, I could go on and on. There, there are tons of them, Retail Me Not. First, they were sites where people could go and see if there was a coupon, right? So I'm already shopping. I already know I'm going to buy something. Let me just go out and see if I could just shave a little off the top of the price, right? Everybody likes a good bargain. But then it evolved further and these extensions popped up where you can install it in your browser. And when you're visiting a website that you maybe know you're going to buy something from, like I just before this call was on the Wayfair website because I need to get a new umbrella for my backyard. So I might go to Wayfair. I might, you know, put that umbrella in my cart. And then the extension kicks in and says, hey, how would you like to save another 10%? And of course I say, yes, who doesn't want to? But this is the difference. I'm already at Wayfair. I'm already planning to buy the umbrella. 
So for the merchant, it just means they're making less money. It's not incentivizing a purchase that would have otherwise happened. And so that's the difference is that with digital couponing, coupons have moved to the bottom of the funnel, whereas they used to be at the top of the funnel. And that's not really how they were designed to be used, only because of the extensions, the retailers have very little control over that. Okay, so how do we solve that problem? (laughs) So we solve it by really controlling how the extensions have access to our site. We don't want to prevent users from typing in a legitimately gotten coupon code because A, that would be very frustrating to them. And B, that prevents you from using coupons as as a merchant in your marketing strategy and the way you should, right? So we're very pro-coupon. We think they should be used, but we want them to be used the right way. And so we do make a product and there are other solutions out there. So certainly not just us that will prevent the coupon extensions from auto injecting the code on your site. So what they do now is they go, they're on the site. They, it's a, it's a extension that lives in the user's browser and they'll say, we have 10 coupon codes and they'll try all 10 codes auto injecting them until it finds the one that has the biggest discount. And then that one will quote unquote win And it'll say, congratulations, we've saved you, whatever the amount is. So there are products like ours out there. Ours happens to be called Clean Cart that will prevent the auto injection, which just kind of gives you a fighting chance. It also means that, you know, the way the coupon extensions get these codes is they scrape them off your site. And so a lot of the codes they're scraping are not intended for wide usage. Like we see codes like military hero 25 that are obviously designed for veterans or employee discount codes, you know, things that are not supposed to be out there and widely available that as soon as the extension gets it, it goes to everybody. So by preventing that auto injection, what happens is the only people that are then going to benefit from the coupon code problem are the ones that that are so determined that they're still going to visit the site and do the research and try the 10 codes themselves. And most people aren't going to do that. And so what, what happens is then you're left with the people that are typing in the codes they were legitimately given. Love it. Can you think of an example or story of some company that implemented this correctly and the difference that it made for them? Oh, yes, I absolutely can. So we have a number, we have about 40 e-commerce brands that are using this. And so we have access to a lot of data. And it's really been interesting to me to see, you know, how this has played out. And so one example is a cookware company, a company that makes pots and pans and they're direct to consumer and it's sort of high-end pots and pans. So big ticket items, right? Um, and they had 193 unique coupon codes that they, many of which were fairly niche that were out there in the world that, you know, were designed for different purposes that the coupon extensions had picked up on and were giving to people. And about, I think 5% of their checkouts were impacted by this auto injection, which doesn't sound like a big number, but it actually really adds up. And I think the largest single discount that they had was $120. So if you start to think about the volume that a lot of e-commerce companies do and $120 per transaction, that's a lot of money. Um, And I think the largest single discount we've seen, uh, again, sometimes some of these retailers have bigger ticket items or or high purchases. Uh, We had one transaction where the discount from a coupon code was $495.80. Like that's huge huge. And the average discount across the board on retailers that we see is 10%. So when you think about margins, e-commerce is not a high margin business, 10% off the top 
is extremely meaningful. So going back to your question about monetization, if you're able to, to put a plug in this problem and stem the leakage of your codes, you can add 10% to your profit margins. That's huge. Yeah. yeah I've even seen situations on some e-commerce um, projects that I've done where when you run all of the numbers and the international shipping and all that, you actually lose money on the transactions. Yeah. Especially if somebody returns the item, like yes. the return itself costs money. We, so I'll, I'll give you one story that really tells all of it. So my CEO tests a lot of sites to see how the extent of their problem. And he was on a men's fashion or apparel site looking at shirts. And he noticed that one of the coupon extensions popped up and he put, I think it was like a $50 shirt in his cart. And what he found out was that the extension had found a code good for $75 off, but the merchant had not put a floor on the purchase amount. So he he got got, a free shirt. Well, yes. And, and, and somebody could do that. And then 10 times get 10 free shirts. So he ordered it and then he reached out to them and said, this just happened. And oh, by the way, he's like, I'm returning the shirt because in all good conscience, I can't keep it. Like we're here to solve this problem, not create it. The sad reality though, is they're already underwater on that because the cost, first of all, they made no money, zero off of the purchase. And second, as soon as somebody returns it, not only did they not make money, but they're, they're losing a ton of money. So that story blew my mind. Like that's the danger that we have. What are the best bits of advice that you could give to an entrepreneur for how to use couponing the most effectively that they can? Yeah. So I think it starts with really understanding what it is that you're trying to incent through the coupon. Again, we want a coupon to be additive. We want it to add to our our profits or to our sales. We want it to attract net new customers. So first of all, go in with your eyes open and really set a goal about what, what does success look like if this coupon really works? And once you have that, then you can start to think about how to structure your coupon code, where to show it, et cetera. You know, that's the basics of a good discounting strategy. Um, also though, think about what it means in terms of your future business, because we do have some data that shows that customers that come in and make their first purchase through a coupon or a coupon extension have a lower lifetime value spend less with you that, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons it's not necessarily good. So you have to really think through how you want to use it. Once you're using coupon codes. So the big thing, the really big thing is watch your analytics and make sure you have a good platform where you can track usage of the codes, because when the problems happen, it's pretty easy to spot. It's usually when you see a sudden massive uptick in usage of a particular code but you can't track that back to a marketing action. So for example, a lot of retailers use these codes with affiliates or influencers, which that's by the way, a whole nother scary thing. Cause if you're paying your affiliates based on usage of the code and the code is getting spread by an extension, not by your affiliate, you're paying yep. your affiliate for sales they didn't drive. So there's, there's the whole nother aspect of monetization. It's just reclaiming those basically in, in, in incorrect payments. But my point being that if you see a spike in the usage of that code and you haven't promoted it in the last 24 hours or your affiliate or influencer hasn't made a big post that drove that business, um, probably what has happened is a coupon extension has scraped it and now it's widely available. So that's the first thing is you really do have to kind of be on top of your own analytics and be paying attention frequently. And you certainly don't need to buy a product like ours to deal with this problem. Um, you know, you can you can take care of it yourself by being vigilant, 
spotting when those issues happen. And then, you know, you can try to reach out directly to the coupon extensions and ask them to remove your code. Uh, the experience of most merchants is that that does not work very well. They will, they will ask you to join their affiliate program and then you're paying them commissions too, in order to give you more control. But what you can do is you can shut off the code. Um, now, sometimes that's a pain in the neck because then you have to call your affiliate and say, hey, your code got compromised. I, I'm issuing you a new one, replace it on your website, replace it in your Instagram, what have you. So there are manual steps you can take. Generally, when people decide to come to us, it's because, and I don't know if I can say it this way, but they don't wanna deal with the pain in the ass factor. They're like, I'm spending too much time on this. It's taking hours per week. So I just wanna automatically solve it. So that's when you might wanna purchase a tool. What do you feel is the biggest tectonic shift that is transforming the business landscape today? Oh, well, I mean, I'm not going to say COVID because I'm pretty sure probably everybody that you interview says that, <laughs> but um, I do think not COVID itself, but, but some of the buying behaviors that have emerged because of COVID are pretty tectonic. Um, you know, I think that our expectations as consumers, whether it's e-commerce or whether it's B2B anything, are that we should be able to get what we need digitally and have less contact as we try to complete a sale process. And that's, there's been a movement toward that for many, many years, but I think it's just accelerated dramatically. And, you know, like in the e-commerce world, we've seen things like buy online, pick up in store, um, or we've seen businesses that were brick and mortar move to be more e-com. But in the, in the business world, we've seen the shift from needing to meet, you know, do sales meetings in person to doing them over Zoom, this push to now be able to do demos online, um, you know, to automating a lot more of our processes. I don't think the clock's going to turn back on that. I mean, certainly there'll still be human interaction, but I, I think what we've recognized as, as a society is that there are ways of, for people who don't want to interact in person, there are ways of, of delivering for those people just as effectively as there are ways of delivering for the people who do want to interact in person. And so I really think that that's, that, that is never going to be rolled back. A couple of days ago, I was walking by the crumble cookie store and they have, you can order digitally uh, and they will deliver it to your door. Can you imagine that? I can't even imagine the economics of cookie ordering delivery. and delivery. Like how you could even make money just doing cookie order and delivery, but even down to a cookie store is doing digital order and delivery. Well, it's fascinating too, because you look at, you know, the adoption, the increased adoption of services like Postmates and Grubhub and Uber Eats and Instacart, like, there's a whole delivery ecosystem that has cropped up to serve that need. And in some cases, the merchants themselves are, are having their own employees do, do the delivery. Like actually, if you look at Jimmy John's, it's kind of the same thing because even before the pandemic, Jimmy John's business model was they had, you know, team members who rode bikes and just delivered sandwiches on bike and they somehow made it work. And so I think it's all about like building your strategy, knowing that this is going to be a part of it and getting creative and figuring out, you know, maybe the yeah. cookie delivery isn't within a, a very wide radius. Maybe it's whatever you can get to by bike because that keeps it more uh, reasonably priced. Who knows? But, uh, but I think the innovation is going to happen to solve for that. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy John's is interesting. They are freaky fast. They sure are. And, <laughs> and uh, I just, you order a, a $6 sandwich and they deliver. I can't figure out the economics of of how they make that work. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I don't pretend to know either, but um, I'm sure that that tipping behavior has something to do with it. And I think yeah. I do also think COVID changed uh, our expectations around tipping and we've all gotten a new appreciation for what it means to be a service worker. And I think that that will help keep some of those things around. Um, but yeah, it's complicated. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, there are many subtle ways that cybersecurity can impact our lives that we don't tend to think about. They can impact our businesses and our revenue. Number two, we should put our coupon codes on lockdown. Number three, coupons should be incentivizing a purchase that wouldn't have otherwise happened. Number four, to protect our codes, we can prevent coupon extensions from auto-injecting the code on our website. Number five, we need to understand what it is that we're trying to incent through the coupon. We want the coupon to be additive. Number six, once we're using coupons, we need to carefully watch our analytics for a sudden massive uptick in usage of a particular code that isn't traceable to marketing action. Number seven, consumers expect to get what they need digitally and have less contact as they try to complete the sale process. We should provide ways to deliver our products and services digitally and in person. To learn more about or connect with Kathleen, you can find her on LinkedIn or visit her website at clean.io. And there's links to both of these sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can get a free ebook about passion marketing and learn how to be a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in using coupon codes to grow your business. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.